New York City is often called a concrete jungle, but on this morning cityscape, we're focusing on its pastoral side. Good morning. I'm George Bodarki. In this half hour, we're taking a look at efforts to increase the accessibility of healthy, locally grown foods in the city. We'll meet a Bronx couple raising chickens in their backyard, a grape grower with a city vineyard, and budding gardeners galore. And in just a bit, we'll be joined by the executive director of a nonprofit, hard at work sowing the seeds of sustainability in New York City. Glad you're with us for Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. New York City is the big apple, not the big fresh apple. But on a community farm in Brooklyn, teens can see their food progress from plant rows to plates. Reporter Laura Zifang takes us there. Red Hook isn't exactly the heartland, but you wouldn't know it when you step onto this farm off Beard Street, right across from the new IKEA. There are rows and rows of luscious green plants and fertile soil on what used to be an asphalt playing field. I'm looking out on a group of teen farmers wearing big brim straw hats, raking leaves. The teens sow seeds, weed, and harvest the crops they grow. 15-year-old Selena Gonzalez is a native Brooklynite. This is the first farm she's ever stepped foot on. Selena walks me out to a part of the farm dubbed the Upper West Side and explains what work lies ahead today. We're looking for anything that's not peppers because we don't want them. It's taking up all the energy from the other plants, and what needs it the most is the peppers, which we will harvest for the markets that we have on Saturday we sell. The teen farming program is run by a nonprofit group called Added Value. The first crop was planted back in 2002 and has been growing strong ever since. In addition to working the land and running a farmer's market, the teens get to try their hand at cooking. Lunch around here includes ingredients the teens handpick themselves. On today's menu, pesto pasta, made with fresh basil and garlic. 15-year-old Jordi DeFreitas leads a blessing before everyone digs in. We thank the air and the sun. We thank the air and the sun. The water and the soil. The water and the soil. The many hands it took to grow this food. The many hands it took to grow this food. And the many hands it took to prepare it. And the many hands it took to prepare it. Bon appetit. Let's eat. Teen farmer Narciso Javier Barado likes the meal so much, he's getting seconds. Narciso says he never eats like this at home. I'm Puerto Rican, so I tend to just eat like rice and beans and stuff like that. And I like the flavor of this, uh, uh, they call it the pesto. It tasted different than what I'm used to, and it was, it, it pretty much, it, it spiked my taste buds. Devon, are there more pesto? Flavor. From like pulling it out of the ground to making it into something you prepare, it's just growing up in the city, you know, it's not something you see, and that, something a lot of the kids have seen for the first time. That's Corbin Loveline a recent college graduate who works at the farm as a teacher. He helps the teens with everything they need to know to produce a fruitful crop. Jordi DeFreitas has only been on the farm for three weeks, but says she's already learned a great lesson about locally grown foods. There's not a lot of supermarkets over here, so people need a better way of getting food. So this will help them, plus it's cheaper and is very healthier. And we grow our own food with no pesticides or nothing, so it's good. Good not only for the eating, but also for growing friendships and confidence. At the end of each workday, the teen farmers say their goodbyes and share positive thoughts about one another. Jeffrey, I respect that no matter what, you always, like, you keep yourself going and you don't never give up no matter how hot the day is. And 
On the Red Hook Farm in Brooklyn, I'm Laura Zyfing. Pick up on what everybody else is doing. Keisha, I respect that you try to bring your experience of working at the farm already and, and giving it to other people. Nicole, I respect that you're a very quiet person, but even though you don't talk much, you get a lot done. The group Added Value has been training teenagers to work on urban farms for some eight years now. The nonprofit opened another farm on Governor's Island in June. Find out more on their website, added-value.org. You don't have to do the digging to support local agriculture. A Lower East Side caterer is hoping to open a cafe to serve the yield from her rooftop garden. Cityscape's Ellen Burke asked her about her plans. Tell me a little bit about where the idea for having the garden came from. Well, I was raised in Corsica, and um, my parents created this self-sufficient restaurant in the valley over there. Amongst, like, There was just a few neighbors which were shepherds. Everything was extremely local, so that was kind of the way I was raised, is like t- tasting all the plants in the environment. I ran into this uh, class that was being offered at the Open Center last summer, and I was just like, oh, I have to go there, and it was the permaculture class offered by Andrew Faust and permaculture is the study of permanent culture which means like whatever you do you do it with minimal waste for a sustainable future after the um, taking this permaculture course I um, I was offered this roof first of all I was offered to like run a cafe in the building and then they told me about like these 3,000 square feet of roofs on this in this building and I was like, I want the roofs as well. I want to grow the food of the cafe on the roofs of the building. So the the plants for the cafe are still in the works and uh, how are you going to use all of this stuff for the cafe? The cafe won't exist for I think another year but I'm only using about like five percent of the roof areas right now and I already I'm getting a lot of, of food. I know you said you grew up and your parents were farming all the time. Is that kind of how you knew how to get these together? Or, you know, how did you figure out how to get the beds set up and all that stuff? No, we didn't have beds. We had land. So, <laughs> and uh, my friend, I have a friend, she's, she should be here any minute, but her name is Rachel Crocker, and her mother has a beautiful little goat farm in Massachusetts. So she was raised on a farm. Like, I wasn't raised on a farm. I was raised in a restaurant, and then there was some some kind of, a little bit of farming, like gardening, and I didn't know how to get started. I was really freaked out. So these are a mix of like uh, squashes and gourds and um, pumpkins. Here we have peppers and tomatoes at the back and some dill. You know, what, what I really want to say is that it's not difficult at all, and it is a piece of heaven, and it's not that much work. It's uh, a few hours less TV a week or something like that. It's just not that much work, and it's very easy to do. An Aparu hosts a traveling dinner using her garden ingredients. The soiree is on the 18th of each month. Find out where it'll be next by sending an email to 18threstaurant at gmail.com. That's 18threstaurant at gmail.com. As with any movement, the hippest supporters are the ones who come on board the earliest, say when they're five or six years old. In Cobble Hill, Brooklyn, one public school is making the case that it's never too early to start gardening. My name is Tina Apreya Reris, and I am a science teacher at PS29. 
and I am one of the people that began the garden. I'm we have different things growing. We have beans, different variety of beans. We have, we had peas. We have a, a squash, many tomato, many different kinds of tomato. We have cherry tomatoes, Roma tomatoes. We have carrots, lettuce, basil, basil to actually feed. Once we do one harvest, we can feed children pasta with pesto in the in the cafeteria maybe once a week for the month of September. Did you want to go look at the different tomatoes that are growing? Do you want to come over here and dig over here? Usually I like to dig dirt. My name is Paloma. Usually I don't eat vegetables, but now I'm starting to eat vegetables because I'm growing big. I'm only four years old. I'm going to help you a little. Are you ready, Maybelle? Do you think that's big enough for the plant to fit in? I feel proud to see that they can now know that food is not just in the supermarket. It, it comes from somewhere. I had a, actually a parent said that her, her child, because they used to order online, they thought it came out of the computer like because it would get from the computer to their house, and they were little ones. But now they see that the tomatoes are green, and then they turn red, and then they ripen, and they're ready to eat. All right, all right, now I'm going to hold it for you. Put the soil all around it. There you go. My name's Cassie Deem, and my son's name is Coulter Deem. He ate cucumbers for the first time, which I was very excited about. <laughs> he never eats cucumbers. He doesn't eat anything that's in a salad, and he was very excited when he saw the cucumbers and that they were growing here, and he ate them for the first time. Come, start. Make your hole right here. Right? Okay. A rock. Okay, we're going to move the rock over. Gardening at PS29 in Cobble nice. Hill, Brooklyn. The school's garden is part of a pilot project called Garden to School Cafe. Google it for more information. You're tuned to Cityscape on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. Good morning once again. I'm George Bodarki. On this morning's show, we're exploring all things locally grown. Jackie Berger is the director of Just Food. The nonprofit organization promotes local agriculture and sustainable food production. Jackie, welcome to Cityscape. Thank you for having me. Your group works to develop a just and sustainable food system in the New York City region. Yes. What does that mean, just and sustainable food system? Basically, what it means is that we work to bring fresh, affordable, locally grown food into all New York City neighborhoods and make sure that that food is both accessible and affordable to all New Yorkers and also to support the folks in the region around New York City and folks growing food right here in New York City. So we're supporting the growers and we're supporting the consumers and helping them to make a connection that's beneficial for both. How do you go about forming those relationships? There's a couple different models that we use. Uh, the one that we're best known for is CSA. I don't know if you're familiar with the model, but it stands for Community Supported Agriculture. And it's a great way to bring fresh, locally grown food into any neighborhood in New York City and to do it without a lot of capital expense. So what Just Food does is we work with a farmer from within the region and we do a lot of work to recruit farms. And then we train a group of neighbors or a community-based organization in 
any neighborhood in New York City to run a hub, a distribution point for a CSA. And then we make that connection. And what it does is it makes food available for 100, 200 families in the neighborhood can purchase a share in the season's produce directly from the farmer. And it's a wonderful direct relationship. It's much more profitable for the farmer, but it's also much more affordable for the New York City community. And it's a great way to get organic fruits and vegetables incredibly freshly into any neighborhood in New York City. And there's a lot of neighborhoods that don't have that kind of access. How is that different than getting a group of farmers to do a farmer's market? In a neighborhood. Well, one of the essential distinctions is in most community-supported agriculture relationships, the payment of vegetables is made up front so that the farmer gets the the you know the full payment for the produce early in the spring, which is often when farmers are purchasing equipment and seed and hiring their first laborers. So when they're doing all of that, they usually go into debt, and this prevents the farmers from going into debt. And for, in exchange for that upfront investment, they offer um, the, their produce much more af- like inexpensively, so that you're getting a lot more produce for a lot less money over the course of the season. We know that here in New York City, low-income residents often struggle to get access to fresh fruits and vegetables. Are there enough CSAs in low-income neighborhoods here in the city? Just Food's been working for about 15 years to make those CSA distribution points, to locate them in neighborhoods that don't have really good food access and that have um, lost a lot of their grocery stores. And we work to make them accessible to low-income families. So we um, have done advocacy work so that a lot of the the um, CSAs now accept food stamps. They also have sliding scales and other flexible payment plans that make it more accessible. So sometimes that upfront payment is really difficult for a family to make. And so if you pay with food stamps or other methods, you can actually pay in installments over the course of the season. And we do a lot of work to support CSAs in low-income communities to help make that work. So let me understand this a little bit better. If I'm invested in a CSA as a member of a community, then do I get a certain amount of fruits and vegetables? How does that break down? You get a percentage of the season's harvest. So these farmers are incredibly sophisticated in terms of trying to grow everything that they can possibly grow so that throughout the harvest season, you're getting a real variety of vegetables. And they negotiate, the farmer and the community will negotiate kind of on a quantity basis, but then you'll get 5 or 10 or 15 or more crops brought to you every week at a central distribution point in your neighborhood, like a school or a church or a hospital. So it's really very convenient. It's somewhere right in your neighborhood. And then you get this kind of exciting bounty of produce. The tricky thing or the exciting thing is that you're eating seasonally. So you really learn kind of what the climate will provide for you in a different, you know, over the course of the season. But you really get this incredible quality of produce and it just it's so easy to make delicious food when you have that really fresh delicious food. I'm a single guy. Would it pay for someone like me to buy into a CSA or will I just be overwhelmed with produce? Well, it depends because all the CSAs in New York City vary in size. So it depends one, on how much you cook and how often you want to eat vegetables. And if you feel like, well, you only cook a couple nights a week and you don't want to end up throwing all those vegetables in the trash, what you can do is share a share with somebody else in the CSA. So you can go to the CSA and say, I only want half a share. And then you can either rotate weeks or only take half of the quantity. So there's a lot of flexibility in the way the CSAs are set up so that they're adaptable for all different kinds of households. And how many CSAs are there now in New York City? 
Uh, this year, there are more than 80 CSAs located in all five boroughs of the city. Okay, so if you don't have a CSA in your neighborhood, maybe you want to have a community garden. You want to grow your own, right? Absolutely. And we also have a city farms program. So we're working with folks who want to grow their own food, and we really encourage that. So we offer workshops through our community workshop series in neighborhoods throughout New York City, and it's really you know, as people request. So if people contact us food and say, I really want to grow food in my community garden, I don't really know how to grow tomatoes, or I really don't know how to build a raised bed, or I would love to raise chickens, you can call us up and we will send somebody to your neighborhood to offer a workshop for you and for the other gardeners in your neighborhood. And the other really exciting program that has developed through our City Farms program is the City Farms Market Program. In a lot of neighborhoods, there aren't farmers markets. There's no CSA, there's no grocery store, and there's no farmers market. So we've worked with community gardens and community gardeners to start their own farmers markets, and they grow their own food, sell it at the market, and we also help to connect them with farmers so that really helps the markets take off. What's the most challenging part of developing your own community garden, do you think? I think that the part that people stumble on is engaging the whole community and sharing responsibility with community. If you have this vision that you want to be growing food in your neighborhood, there's only so much that an individual can do. And so um, learning how to organize, learning how to reach out to your neighborhoods, learning how to engage the entire community. I think once you get something going, you get um, students involved, you get seniors involved, you really get this incredible intergenerational experience in the garden in addition to getting access to really great, fresh, healthy food. But that initial momentum is something that I think people sometimes struggle with. What do you do if you want to start a community garden, yet you look around your neighborhood and you say, gee, I just don't know where to put this. I see concrete. I don't see much grass or plots. Well, there's an incredible network of existing community gardens, and I think that's the great place to start. If you go to, there's a, um, within the city, there's a a group called Green Thumb. They're a subdivision of the Parks Department. They're a wonderful resource for community gardeners. And getting in touch with them and finding out where there's a community garden in your neighborhood and finding out how you can get plugged into and support an existing garden, going, meeting the people who are growing there, finding out how you can help out, that's really a wonderful way to get involved. And I think it's great to get that kind of experience before you go and try to start your own. If you see a developer you know, about to break ground on a new building. Can you approach that developer and say, you know what, can we set aside a little bit of land in this neighborhood so we can build a community garden? It's interesting. A lot of green building and greeting, a lot of developers are moving in a more green direction. I think working with your community board is a wonderful way to figure out how your community can plan for urban agriculture and plan for that kind of green space. Um, and that will give you, I think, more um, strength when you, if you wanted to do, approach a developer. Has the city been advocating as well? Has the city been a big supporter of community gardens? There's a really strong movement um, within the borough president's office, Manhattan Borough President's Office, um, which is really promoting urban agriculture and looking at urban agriculture's potential to increase healthy food access throughout the city. And I think that the mayor's office is starting to look more at that. They already have a very strong dedication to sustainability and green space, and they seem to be moving in the direction of recognizing the value and the potential of urban agriculture in the city. So 
I think it's something that is really on the rise. I just read in the Times that Chicago has become the first city in the nation to pass a green food resolution, and that would basically urge the city to make healthy, locally grown food more available to Chicago residents. And what's really exciting is New York City is hot on the heels of that. Um, Just Food is the coordinating organization of Foodprint NYC Alliance, which is a group of organizations that has worked with City Councilman Bill de Blasio to introduce Foodprint NYC, which is also a resolution that looks at the connection between food and climate change and how the city's food purchasing and land planning practices, um, and really looking at how food can combat climate change. So we're encouraging people to reach out to their city council people to sign on to support this resolution. Um, It'd be really exciting to catch up with Chicago in short order. You mentioned earlier that you help people raise chickens. You'll give them the information that they need to raise chickens. I understand that you raise chickens. Am I right? I I hope to raise chickens in the very near future. And there's an urban farm not far from me that's going to have chickens in the very near future. So um, there is a a wonderfully robust community of city chicken keepers. Um, There's a meetup group that people can log into if they want to, you know, find out more about raising chickens for eggs in New York City. Um, And we do offer, um, through our City Chicken Project, we offer grants to community organizations who want to raise chickens for eggs and do that in conjunction with markets markets and education. So um, it's really exciting to see more people getting into livestock in the city. When I hear about people having chickens in New York City, the first question that I think of is, is that legal? Yes, it is. Keeping hens for eggs is completely legal. Roosters are another story. But um, it's really kind of exciting that our city's codes are um, receptive to people having hens. What do you say to people who are having an internal conflict? Do I buy organic or do I go local? Well, I think it, um, and a lot of times it depends on what you're buying, but my answer is always to buy local. The farmland around New York City is it's something that it, it's a it's an incredibly valuable resource to us in terms of the long-term sustainability and food security of our city. And if it isn't actively farmed, we will lose it forever. And that's, that's our legacy. So purchasing local means that you're buying into those farms, you're supporting those farms, and if you don't protect and preserve those farms, there's no chance that those farms can ever go organic. So through our programming, Just Food helps support the livelihood of small-scale sustainable farmers, but also conventional farmers. And we've been working with a number of farms that as the next generation comes onto the farm, they're interested in learning about sustainable and organic farming, and they're interested in the potential market opportunities there. And so we're really hopeful that more and more of those farms can be converted to organic. And we're excited when consumers are willing to work with a farmer through that transition. Are institutions in New York City doing enough to support local farming, schools, hospitals, jails? There's a lot of room for more local purchasing. The folks at School Food are very interested, but there needs to be a stronger commitment in city policy all across the board in terms of making um, making an effort to purchase locally. There's a lot of infrastructure development that needs to happen to make that possible for institutions. And I think that there's a growing interest, but there's still a lot of work to do. Jackie Berger, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Jackie Berger is the executive director of Just Food. Have a look at their website, justfood.org. Locally grown food isn't limited to what grows in the ground. One Bronx couple wanted fresh omelets to go with their garden produce. So what do they do? They built a chicken coop in their backyard and bought three hens to go with it. That would be my girls. (laughs) 
My name is Isabel Goldberg. Uh, I live in the Bronx in the Norwood section. And in the daytime, I work at NYU Medical Center as the Director of Environmental Health and Safety. I think the reason we decided to have chickens is I love eggs. The eggs you get in the supermarket are so-so. For three chickens, I'll get two eggs a day. We have neighbors up here who actually spend a lot of time checking them out, and they seem to like them also. So, so far, they're well accepted. Now, when they get a bit older, they could get a bit noisy, and then that'll raise other issues. They buck, you know, buck, 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 in the morning in particular. My grandchildren are supposed to name them, and they haven't arrived at names. We did reject Squawky. <laughs> The one thing I like about them, actually, is chickens are supposed to have a pecking order. You know, and they can be a little bit mean-spirited among each other. And these chickens, I haven't seen that at all. There's no, there doesn't seem to be any attempt by any of them to be the queen of the roost. <laughs> they're very easy pets to keep. You know, they're easier than most pets. I come down twice a day and just check to make sure their water is clean and they have enough food, let them out, put them back in. So it's pretty simple. You know, I think it's very important to try and be sustainable, to do things as locally as possible. We really do need to do these things, you know, to the extent that you can even if it's on a very small scale, it's a step in the right direction. Isabel Goldberg and her husband Mark keep chickens and tend to a bountiful rooftop garden in the Bronx. New Yorkers looking for a good bottle of local wine have plenty of options. A variety of wines are produced in the Finger Lakes region, on Long Island, and even in New Jersey. But sometimes it just tastes better from your own backyard. Our next piece is about a vintage of wine that goes from the grape to the bottle without ever leaving 92nd Street. Cityscape's Andrew Hirschman sat down with Latif Gigi and his wife Vera, retired professors, to talk about the some 100-foot grapevine that wraps around their townhouse. I've been in New York since uh, January 1962. I am a Yankee. And, and how long has Chateau Latif been a, been a thriving... Uh, Chateau Latif started in 1984 with about uh, six half bottles of wine. What sort of compelled you to do that? Okay, it actually has to do with my childhood. Uh, We did have a vine in our house, and I was, at the time, uh, maybe uh, nine years old. And I remember just wanting it to grow as high as possible. It reached the roof of a two-story house, and I constructed a uh, about 20-foot pole to, to let it climb on it. That was the end of it, but my father did make wine. And now you have a vine that's over 100 feet long. It's over five stories tall, and you've been, you've been in news organizations all over the world. You've been interviewed in many different countries and many different national newspapers here. Has anyone written to you saying, you know, your vine's really big, but my vine's bigger? No one ever said that. No one ever challenged this at all. Not even a short vine in Manhattan where they use the fruit to make wine. No one did. I'm uh, Latif's wife, Vera Gigi. I used to teach English at Brooklyn College, 
you've never had any reservations about his wine grapes. No, of course not. Why should I? It hasn't taken over your garden? <laughs> Fortunately for me, they decided to go vertical. They could have taken over the garden. And uh, what happened, he may have told you the story, is that I was the gardener when we moved here. And I completed what I thought was a beautiful garden, all done. And I said to him, look at it, it will never be any more beautiful than this. Everything is in proportion. And then, like any man, he took a little stick and he put it in my garden and it grew and it took over everything. <laughs> what she didn't tell you about the story of putting a little stick in the backyard, she thinks it's very Freudian. Well, I think that's sort of pretty self-evident. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> don't you think I so? I just want to make sure. Well, you know. uh, perhaps for that, that our listeners don't think so. So explain your, your, your Freudian connection, if you don't mind. <laughs> you see this, this small uh, grape cutting going into... No, no, no. It's not the cutting. It's a stick. Mm -hmm. It's the stick that you plant. In the garden, and then it you grows. You insert the stick in the ground. Well, you insert it, yes. <laughs> that becomes pretty clear. Besides having this incredible winery in your apartment, you also are a national award-winning teacher. You won a, a very major award. What do you consider a greater accomplishment, this incredible vineyard in your house, or, or your... your <laughs> or, uh, Anybody can be a farmer. <laughs> Growing a vine, it, it doesn't take much skill. It does it by itself. I think uh, uh, teaching, being a good teacher, is much more complicated, it requires much more skill, many years of experience. So I would say this is just playing, doing the, uh, the, the vine and the wine and all of that. Latif and Vera Gigi are both retired professors. Their wine, Chateau Latif, is made entirely in their Upper East Side townhouse. Joining them was Cityscape's Andrew Hirschman. Our thanks to Andrew Hirschman, as well as producers Mary Wilson, Anne-Marie Hordern, Laura Zifang, and Ellen Burke. That's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bodarki. Have a great weekend.